This is episode 89 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. And this show's focus is to give you great stories of business women all over the world in so many different industries so you can truly find inspiration in their stories. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, specifically episodes 79 through 84, we had had an entire week of featuring women who have been on Shark Tank during Shark Week, which was super cool and amazing. We got to hear some great stories. Well, what you didn't know behind the scenes is that we had such an outpouring of people who wanted to be um, featured whose businesses had been on Shark Tank and we could only fit five in. But because there were so many women whose stories were mind-blowing, I definitely wanted to make sure that they got on the podcast. So today's guest is a definite must listen. But before we get into that, it is time for our Biz Women Wednesday series. Every single Wednesday before our main interview, we take a second to shine the light on an amazing woman who's a part of the Biz Women Rock community. And today's spotlight goes on Keita Bryant. She currently lives in Georgia, and she has created a company called Cocoa. And Cocoa exists because she really wanted to represent people who are normal, regular people just like me and you, and not the ones who are always in the People magazine and the celebrities in Hollywood. Her visual design company helps small businesses really break through into the world through web design, through logo, photography, and print work. To read more about Kita and her story, go to bizwomenrock.com. And if you're interested in being featured on this Biz Women Wednesday series yourself, you can absolutely go there and just fill out the form to be considered. Now let's get on with the show. Totally pumped to bring you today's guest. Her name is Tracy Noonan, and she is the co-founder of a company called Wicked Good Cupcakes. She's from Boston, obviously. I always want to call it Wicked Smart Cupcakes. <laughs> anyway, Wicked Good Cupcakes. What makes them so different is that it's all homemade ingredients of a cupcake that's actually in a see-through jar. So nice and pretty and can actually be stored. She's got a great story as to how she and her daughter created this great company and why they've had such massive growth over the past few years. Back in 2013, they were featured on Shark Tank got a deal with Kevin O'Leary, and you would not believe the path that that has brought them on, which includes another celebrity investor. So let's get rolling. Tracy, thank you so much for being on the call with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. A, your cupcakes look amazing. <laughs> And B, <laughs> I am just so fascinated by the journey and the growth that you guys have had as a company and some pretty cool celebrity factors that you've had that are a part of that. So I really want to thank you for being here. And I really would love to to get a really great well-rounded view as to how you started this company in the first place, because it's a really great story. Would you mind sharing that? No, not at all. And, and thank you again for having having me. The business started kind of really wasn't meant to be a business when it started. My youngest daughter, Danielle, who is, who is my business partner, was my little art student who was my youngest child. I have three kids, and she was the last last to leave the house. And we both had art school backgrounds, 
So I wanted to spend some time with her because it's really sad that she had moved out and I didn't have anyone left at home with me. And I was a big fan of Duff Goldman's show, Ace of Cakes. So I thought, you know, with our, with our backgrounds, we should take a cake decorating class together. So that's what we did. Once a week, we'd meet up and go to this class. And basically, as our stuff was becoming more complicated and more fun, we would post it on social media and we started to receive requests from people to bake for them and to to do either cakes or cupcakes for events. In a nutshell, we just grew really, really fast. And from word of mouth, and we started getting a lot of corporate clients. I'm not quite sure how that even happened, but they were much, (laughs) I really have no idea, but they were bigger clients. So it sort of forced us to decide whether or not we wanted to actually have a business. And we decided that we wanted to, so that's how we started, and that's how we ended up getting our first commercial retail space. Wow. I love the fact that that's how you started, because it's like this mother and daughter time, and that was just kind of this fun little thing to do on the side, and then people really took to it. I just really love that. How did you guys decide, like, what to charge, what to make people, or were they saying, hey, we want that red, white, and blue cupcake that you would make? Can you make us a dozen? Like, how were you guys deciding kind of how to set that up in the first place? Oh, my God. So... You have to understand that we had no business background, <laughs> no, pul- no You wouldn't believe background. how many people say that, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was a huge learning curve. And one of the things that I did do when we decided that we were going to start a business was I went to our local chapter of SCORE, and I met with three retired gentlemen who sat down with me and talked to me about making a business plan, checking out my competition. They helped me do spreadsheets and taught me about forecasting. And basically, I took advantage. It was a free service. I recommend anyone thinking about starting a business, check them out. And I sort of had had my first taste of business school, if you will, once a week with these um, three gentlemen. And of course, I'd bring them cupcakes every week. So (laughs) (laughs) They would eat cupcakes and I would pick their brains as to what, what we should do. And then my husband, who's Danielle's stepdad, uh, has started many companies and he's a really, really smart guy. And he sort of helped us write a business plan, which is really tough to do. I didn't realize how involved and complicated it was, but it was good for us because it gave us some focus and some discipline, which was important, especially, I think there's right-brained people and left-brained people and the more creative people tend to gloss over and not focus on the discipline and the business end of what you're doing because we were so creative and had so much fun baking and and decorating that the side of it that included spreadsheets and bills and ordering and budgeting that wasn't in our wheelhouse so my husband is really helpful there with us. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. So many times you could sort of come under one of either side of the spectrum. Either you are the super creative and you just wanna keep pushing forward and doing creative things and not always concerned as to what the P&L is saying, what the profit and loss statement is saying, you know, what the budget, what you actually had budgeted for these things. And that stuff seems so boring to the non-creative. And, but on the other hand, somebody who's totally into the numbers and totally into the spreadsheets and totally into the budget isn't always going to grow or be creative in the way that somebody on the other end of the spectrum is. So having that balance is really important. 
It, it is. It truly is important because you can be the greatest at what you do, but if you don't manage your money well, you're not going to have a business. It's just a fact. Mm. So we definitely needed him, and he set up a lot of really strict guidelines as far as what we could spend or not spend, and it was important. And I have to say that we never were a company, we still are not a company that was ever in debt or ever ran out of money. And I do attribute that to his business savvy and his way of working magic with numbers and the little bit of money that we had when we started. Now, you guys have have had massive growth over these past couple of years, and we're going to get into a little deeper of the story as to why you've had all this great exposure and growth. But I want to know how you and your daughter work together as a team. You know, there's some power differentials there. So, like, when you come to the business, you guys are pretty much equal partners. How do you manage the mom and daughter relationship you have and the business partner relationship that you have? You know, I, that was probably for me. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure it was hard for Danielle as well. But it was harder for me because I had a hard time stepping out of some other role. And I was always much harder on her than I was on anyone else we worked with. And it was a struggle. It was very difficult. Now we, we have more of a business relationship and she has a lot more, I want to say authority, but a lot, maybe a lot more responsibility and things that she handles that I'm not a, a part of. So that gives her some autonomy, and I think it gives her confidence because in the beginning it, it was a lot like, hey, you're late, or hey, can't you clean better, or hey, can't you do this? And I had to really step back and, and uh, learn to say I'm sorry a lot when I overstepped my bounds as the mom slash business partner. I'm just imagining like the mother like, you'll do it because I say so, you know, <laughs> and you can't do that to your business partner. <laughs> No, you can't. And she's so respectful of me. And she and I are like two totally different entities. I'm the type A, you know, uptight, high strong, and she's uh, more laid back. Don't worry, we'll get it done. And it always gets done. Um, personality. So I think if it were my other daughter who's more like me, we probably would have killed each other <laughs> at this point. But, you know, somehow has let me live. So what are the, um, what are the it, roles that you guys have in the companies? What do each of you do? So our roles are very different right now. Um, we have one retail location, which is in Faneuil Hall in Boston. So Danielle's responsible for managing that and figuring out totals of product that go there, payroll, employees. She also manages our Cohasset location, which is where our, our offices are, but we also produce our Faneuil Hall product and all of our corporate client products. She has quite um, a responsible role. She has to keep track of everything, keep customer orders straight, keep employees schedules and it she has a lot ordering ordering inventory. I do some of our social media marketing. I work on new product development. I'm the one who does a lot of traveling. Like if I have to go to one of our other bakeries in another part of the country, I'm the one who usually goes there. So there's there's a real division of what we do and it's it's very different what we do. Within your first nine months of your business, you guys had generated $150,000 in revenue, which is amazing for a startup company and just doing it because people were like coming to you. And then you went on Shark Tank and you had kind of the <laughs> Shark Tank experience. So 
You ended up doing a deal with Kevin O'Leary. What I would love for you to share is what that experience was truly like for you. Like you both went on, you this this aired in 2013, right? Yes, end of April 2013. Okay, so can you talk a little bit about what your experience was like going on the show? What kind of stuff did you have to prepare for? What was your like emotional experience during your time there? Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Um, first off, I, I can definitely say that having shared that experience with my daughter is a memory that I will always have. And we were in California for five days and we just had the best time. And again, it was something that only she and I shared. So that made it a really cool experience in and of itself. The whole process was very nerve wracking from the day I filled out our online application to the day that we flew there to tape to waiting months and months and months and months for our episode to air. Um, it, it was a, a truly a roller coaster uh, ride of a year for us because we taped in July of 2012, but didn't air till April 2013. Oh wow! So there's a lot of time in between, not really knowing if our episode was actually going to air. There's a lot of when when you're chosen for the show, there's never a guarantee until the night you air that you're going to air. Really? So they don't let you know like even a couple weeks beforehand, like hey, you're going on air. They do, but if for some reason, like, that bring when we were due to air, was the Boston Marathon bombings. So the Friday that, the week before we aired, those guys were bumped, and we weren't sure if they were going to be put in our spot. So you never know with what's going on in the world, even, if right. if your episode's going to air, and they make absolutely no guarantee. You fill out, like, a 100-page contract. They do due diligence on you. You are flown to LA. You have to do your pitch for all the network executives one of the nights before they decide if you're going to air. I, I mean, at that point, your journey could end. After they decide that they like you and they want you to continue, then you get put into a slot for your filming day. And they have um, the Sharks have a very tough schedule because they film about eight to 10 episodes a day, which is a really long day for them. Right. If you're at the end of the day and they run over time, you're bumped. You're done. You don't get to film. Wow. So really they don't, like, move you to the next day? No, not always. Wow. they have everything so scheduled. Right. So we were fortunate. We were supposed to be in the afternoon when we, when we taped on Tuesday, and then we ended up being the last session before they broke for lunch. So it was perfect because we had a food item. <laughs> we were, you know, <laughs> we were still early enough in the day that they weren't completely exhausted or cranky. So it was a perfect timing for us. Everything really worked out well. What was one of the hardest questions that you received from the Sharks during your time there? There wasn't a question that was hard, but if I had to describe a huge fear I had, it would be that, you know, I knew our product was good and I knew people liked our product, but you never want them going on national television in front of 8 to 10 million people and saying, oh, this is awful. Mm. So I think you always have that little bit of trepidation that, one of them is not going to like it and say something negative, which fortunately wasn't the case for us. Mark Cuban actually ate four of them while we were filming. Um, <laughs> it was very, very funny. Because we were actually in front of them for an hour, and you only see six to eight minutes of the pitch, and there's really a lot more that, that gets edited. So they loved everything, which was great. I was getting really nervous when no one had any interest, basically because either they weren't in the food space at the time or Laurie was interested, but the shelf life was short. 
so Kevin was the last person I had thought would be interested. So that was that was very funny. One of the things I'm most curious about is what it's truly like <laughs> working with Kevin O'Leary because I've watched the show for a while and there's not a good vibe that goes on over him as an investor. I mean, everyone, like there are sharks that actively say, I do not want to go into this deal with Kevin. I'm not going to do it. They make fun of him. He's sort of portrayed as this like money hungry person. But that, he's still on the show for some reason. So can you share like what it's really been like working with him? Maybe give us a little bit of a background as what happened right afterwards, like what that whole process was sure. and what it's been like working with him. So when we were taping, when we were taping our segment, they didn't, they didn't show it. It got edited out. But Danielle had a complete breakdown because Mark and Damon were heckling Kevin and they were yelling at us that he was going to bankrupt us and our, we were going to go under and we have no business left. And of course it's television. So you know that at least for me, I, I was kind of laughing at it knowing that they were fooling around. And, but my daughter being so young, she was only 23 at the time, got really, really upset and was really fearful that Kevin was in fact going to run our business into the ground. So when we left the soundstage and went to another studio to do our exit interview, she was absolutely sobbing. <laughs> it felt really <laughs> awful. Of course, here I am accepting this offer and all smiles, and, and she was just stunned. So one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is after you you get off the stage to do your pitch, you're not allowed to be around any of the other entrepreneurs because they don't want anyone to see someone either rejoicing or crying. They don't want to shake up anyone else who's filming that day. So they kind of remove you and they bring you back to your dressing room and they have a psychiatrist come in and talk to you. And um, she kind of checks in with you to see how you're doing because it's really an intense experience. I, I could never, ever, ever tell anyone like how amazingly intense the whole time is. So Danielle started to feel a little bit better. And then Kevin's assistant, Alex, came in, sat down, talked to us, congratulated us, gave us his card and said that they'd be in touch. Once you've made that that agreement or that deal in front of the camera, then the real work begins after where they start to do their due diligence to make sure you are who you say you are, that you represented yourself properly, that you're not a convicted criminal. You know, you go through sort of due diligence all over again. And that can take some time. But I think Danielle started to feel better after we spoke to Alex and Alex assured her that Kevin was actually a really nice man, <laughs> which in fact he is. Kevin has been amazing for our business. There's not a day goes by that I can't email, text, or call him. And if I don't get him immediately directly, that he doesn't get back to me within five to 10 minutes. Wow. He's that accessible to us. He Last time we were in New York, we got to film the opening the new opening for season six and seven of Shark Tank. He invited Danielle and I and some of the other businesses he's invested in from Shark Tank to film the ringing of the bell at the NASDAQ. And then he took everybody out to dinner that night. He's just a lot of fun. He loves to have fun. He loves people. He's, believe it or not, very, very kind, soft-spoken, really listens, really is concerned about your business and really wants you to do well. And I know he feels this responsibility to us. He's really an amazing, amazing man. What are the realities of what Kevin has actually done? Like, what are those logistics? I mean, is he making connections for you? Is he suggesting certain things for you to do? Like, what does that really look like? So with Kevin, we can, we have sort of not only Kevin, but a whole team 
that we can access, people to run numbers or run spreadsheets to see if something's a wise decision or not. Kevin loves the media, so he's gotten us many, many opportunities to either be in books or to go to be on television to get follow-ups on Shark Tank, which are really tough to get, opportunities to be on CNBC, on other shows, and then, of course, knowing people like our new business partner, Marcus. Marcus contacted Kevin, and Kevin put us in touch with Marcus. So there's a real value to having a person like Kevin we refer to him as an investor, a mentor, and a friend. And he those three things to us. And he's thrilled whenever we have success. And he, he just helps with a lot of things, advertising, a lot of social media. His team is awesome. I love working with all of them. And he's generous. You can go out to breakfast with him, out to dinner. He's, he's very accessible. I've met his family. They're very nice. He's just a really, really great guy, and he is involved. Now, you mentioned Marcus, and I want to make sure everyone knows that this is Marcus Limonis of The Profit, who just invested in your business. And I had asked you before we got started, were you on the show? Because I don't remember seeing that, because <laughs> I love The Profit. <laughs> but you actually said that this was a deal that was made outside of the show. Can you let everyone know how that deal actually got made? Kevin um, has, a, has a home in Boston, and he happened to be in Boston in May. And asked us to meet him for breakfast so we could just talk about, you know, what we were doing, what we were working on. And he just casually mentioned that Marcus Lemonis had, had gotten in touch with him and was interested in our company. And he wanted to talk to us. And ironically, I had just started to watch The, the Profit. I hadn't been watching it. And my husband and I were um, on demanding some of the episodes. And I really liked Marcus, at least from what you see on television, his philanthropic attitude with businesses. So after Kevin made mention of that, we sort of investigated him a little bit and and tried to learn as much as we could about him. And if you remember, there was a bake shop that started in New York called Crumbs, and they had gone public. Crumbs filed for bankruptcy, and Marcus was buying out their debt, and he wanted to bring us into the new crumbs that he was going to build and have not just cupcakes, but other desserts, his other dessert brands in there as well, and sort of build like a superstore of, of higher-end dessert brands. So that's basically the plan right now, whether or not the deal with crumbs and, and markets goes through, but Marcus is now working with us and helping us to grow our brand, which is awesome because, again, no business experience, (laughs) no idea how to grow a brand. Or We've been so lucky. We've had these amazing people with so much um, knowledge and a lot of contacts coming into our lives and and helping us. It's, It's really been amazing. Tracy, I think one of the biggest concerns for a lot of small business owners really growing and bringing an investor on is having someone own a, a chunk of your company and you don't have 100%. You have not one, but two significant investors. Can you maybe talk about your feelings about how you feel about the percentage that they do own and why you're okay with that and why that gets you excited versus kind of, oh, I don't own 100% of my company and that's not good? Yeah, so Kevin owns none of our company. We have a royalty deal in place with Kevin. And interestingly enough, we paid him back immediately. I think we paid him back within six weeks, his initial $75,000 investment wow. in our company, which is really cool. And so now we give him $0.45 cents a job for every unit that we sell. And again, if you look at his team of attorneys and accountants and the media play he's gotten us, it's totally worth it. Would I have done a royalty deal if it were anyone else but Kevin? Probably not. 
but we also had good cash flow. So it wasn't something that was going to cripple our company. And at the time, in the tank, trying to do fast math and understand how a royalty deal actually works, it seemed like the right thing to do. I took a lot of heat after we aired. Uh, a lot of people on social media telling me I was stupid and I didn't know how to run a business. And oh, wow. Actually, if you look at a royalty deal, it's, it's a motivator for a, a, for a company. So the more we earn, the less we actually pay in royalty. And right now, the equivalent that we pay Kevin is like he had a 12% stake in our company, which is nothing. Right. If I had walked into the Shark Tank and let's just say Mark Cuban invested in us and he wanted 40% of our company, I would forever be a 60% partner. With Kevin, I own 100% of the business. And he's still, he still, I consider him a, a business partner. He's really collecting royalties. But it, it works out so well. If people just need to understand how the royalty deal works. And all they see is 45 cents a jar. And it's paying for, like I said, our advertising, for consultation, for so many things. I like your way of looking at that is like, okay, your investment into media, into exposure, into consulting, all that stuff. I think that's a really great way of looking at it. Thank you. Well, I think when you have a business, it's like our Faneuil Hall location. We have this tiny, cute little, it's like a, a garden shed. It's very small. And we, we pay a, a big rent there. But we write part of that off as, as marketing because our business is truly online. So if we have people from all over the country, Faneuil Hall is the seventh largest tourist attraction in the world, believe it or not. Wow, I had if we no have idea. People from all of, yeah people from all over the country going there, if they like our product and they try it and bring it home, there's a chance that they're going to go online and order it again. So for us, we don't look at it as a strictly a retail location. It's also a marketing tool. And I think you have to sort of look at your business and, and see how things work. And for us, the royalty deal was a good fit. Kevin was awesome. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Marcus is a little different. I'm not at liberty to disclose any of the details of our deal with him. I can tell you he is he is an, uh, an invested partner. And he's another person who's a very motivating, interested, and involved person. Uh, I can't wait to see what um, the next few years bring working with him and his team. He's a really nice man. Tracy, you have had tremendous growth in the short amount of time that you've been around. You know, <laughs> uh, like I said before, when you went on to Shark Tank, you had generated 150000 in revenue in just nine months. You just let me know that you're on track to hit about $3 million for this year. And that's two years later. After, how long is that? Like one, one year later after the show? Yep. Yep. It'll be our third anniversary this October. Wow. So uh, what I am very curious about is what I would love to know is how are you keeping up with the growth of your company? Like what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had in managing that kind of growth? Definitely our biggest challenges are with our shipping. And when we started, we struggled with our customer service. We didn't have a great customer service department in place. And we were so overwhelmed and so bombarded with phone calls and emails that it was really, really tough for us to keep up. And I think we dropped the ball a little bit with phone calls and missed emails. So we really buckled down and focused on our customer service. And what we do now is we have feedback forms that we send out. We have really good communication with all of our customers. Our customers are so important to us. And they are very loyal and they have been really good to us and very supportive of us as a business. 
So that was something that we really had to focus on, and I think that we've greatly improved. Shipping, we use UPS. Um, They've been a great company to work with. Just trying to get shipping rates lower for our customers. We just redesigned our shipping packaging, which is going to lower the rates down. UPS is going from a dim and weight model to just being a dim model to ship. So that's going to save our customers some money. And, you know, just being aware of social obligations, you know, trying to be supportive of, of charities that we're, we're very interested in and that are, that are near and dear and close to us and never forgetting that. You know, part of our allure is it was a mother and daughter with no college degree who started this business. And I really feel sort of responsible to to spread the word that if you have an idea and you, you think you can sell your product and you think you're the best in the world at what you do, you should definitely go for it. It's never too late. What is the percentage of sales that you guys get from your website versus any retail locations? Our website is above and beyond. I probably... of our business is on on our website. Wow. What kind of stuff do you have to have set up on your website that makes it unique? I mean, obviously, you guys have to have a lot of attention on your entire back-end ordering system, things like that. What what are some of those pieces that that makes it run so smoothly online for people? Well, we were very fortunate that my husband, that his background was um, building uh, large e-commerce for Fortune 1000 companies building all the back end. That was his thing. He loved that. He's great with internet security. That was one of his specialties. So we have a really great API that you can um, hook up to UPS with. And we allow people to select the day that the product arrives, which is really great because a lot of companies just tell you the day it ships. We just launched this weekend a loyalty program and it's retroactive back to November 1st of last year where people will get wicked good dollars and, and they'll be able to have sort of like calendars or notebooks on the site where they can put people's information and events. And then they'll get um, a reminder, say, you know, your brother Paul, it's his birthday next week. They'll get a reminder that his birthday's coming up. Self-propagating fields to make it faster. Just a lot of really good stuff. A lot of security it, it's a, it, if I had to have paid for it, it would have been probably a half a million dollar website. There's so much involved in it. Wow. Great job, hubby. Way to go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a great skill to have in a husband. <laughs> I know. Just a little bit lucky. <laughs> yeah, really. What's one of the major lessons that you've learned throughout all the, I know there's a zillion uh, of them, but maybe mm-hmm. like one that really hit home for you and really stuck in the gut that re- you really learned from. Yes, you cannot do everything yourself. So surround yourself with people who know more than you. Biggest lesson, biggest lesson. I'm so type A and such a control freak. And you just, you need to let go of of the things that you're not best at and, and surround yourself with those who are better than you. And you'll always come out looking like a superstar because you have these rock stars working with you. I love that. That is so very true. From one control freak to the next. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Tracy, I really want to conclude this conversation by asking you what your vision is. Like, where are you guys going? I know you literally, like, just last month got this deal with Marcus. Like, what do you see for the future? We are uh, rebranding ourselves. We're going to be coming out as Wicked Good Bake Shop. We don't want to make the mistake that some other companies have made and just have one type of product. So we 
have cheesecake jars that we just released, and we're bringing back brownie jars, and in the fall we're going to have pie jars. So we'd like to be that gifting company that if you want something that's gourmet and, and great quality with really good customer service, you can send to a friend or or a business. No order is ever too big for us or, or ever too small. And hopefully we'll morph into that gifting company. And then with Marcus, if we end up being in some of the Crumbs retail locations, spreading our brand that way, and we're formulating cake mixes out of our recipes, and we have all kinds of things planned. I kind of like to be the Stonewall Kitchen of, of baked goods. We always end with your favorite five. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your five favorite things, and just quick, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, okay? You ready? Sure. Okay, yep. All right. Favorite business tool? Asana. Oh, Asana is the... Um, uh, Project management software, right? Yes. Very nice. I'm not the most organized. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Okay. Favorite type of your cupcake? You know what? Our mocha. I like our mocha. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? Paris, France. Favorite book? Any kind of book. Joseph Murphy's book, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Ooh. Okay. And lastly, favorite place for date night? Oh, Definitely the chat house sitting outside in Boston. Love it. Awesome. Tracy, thanks so much. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Tracy was wonderful and had so many great lessons to share. I really appreciate you being here. You can go to bizwomenrock.com not only to hear more about Tracy, but also to see all of the other fabulous women who have been interviewed on this show. It is a huge list, by the way. We are coming close to 100. All right. I will see you on the next episode. Is it something if I make a mistake, we can stop or? Totally. We're not, we're not live. So I have okay. phenomenal <laughs> editing capabilities and, and it's usually okay, me. Awesome. Going, I have this habit of like, I get so entrenched in the conversation that I forget like where I'm about to go. So I'm like, oh, oh, wait, shoot. What was that question? Hold on. <laughs> so no worries. If you flub up, I have editing capabilities. So no, no big deal about oh, that. Thank you.